with Bibles open to Psalm 126, we are starting a new series of messages that we've entitled One Mission. This year, year 2016, this is the year that we've called the year of evangelism. Last year was the year of scripture memory. We are continuing that theme uh, this year but and beginning a new theme, the theme of evangelism. And so uh, the series of messages that we're going to be looking at through the year of 2016, I'm very excited about. Uh, we're starting with a few sermon series. Uh, through, it'll take us through February uh, entitled One Mission. We'll be focusing in on the Old Testament, primarily the New Testament, Matthew 28, also the book of Acts. We'll be looking at the mission of the church, the mission. There's a lot of things the church is called to do, to, to pray and to offer hope and to give and to do these things, but there is one mission that we are all called to do, and that one mission is to share our faith. Matthew 28 is called the Great Commission, but the Great Commission is not only found in Matthew 28, it's also found in Mark 16, the, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John, and also in the book of Acts. He says, says it over and over and over and over again that the mission of the church is to go outside of herself and to share her faith with those who have yet to hear. And so beginning this year, we're going to be talking about our one mission. And then every year I try to preach a, a, from a book and verse by verse through an Old Testament book and a New Testament book. Last year, we, we walked through the, book, uh, the two books, Nehemiah and also the book of Ruth last year in the Old Testament. and the New Testament, we walked through the book of Ephesians. This year, the year of evangelism, we're going to be walking through the book of Jonah, uh, the Old Testament book of Jonah, an evangelist who went out and shared his faith. And then at the end of the year, we're going to walk through the book of Romans. It's going to take us about six months uh, to get through the book of Romans, but I tell you, the book of Romans is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the book about evangelism. It's a book uh, that we need to hear, and we need to hear it preached and proclaimed. Today, though, we're going to begin this new year uh, with the vision Sunday with the message entitled The Essentials for Sharing. And this, these essentials for sharing, we're going to see it in Psalm 126, but we're going to springboard because the, the elements, the essentials that we see found in Psalm 126, we find throughout the scripture over and over and over again. You know, I want to be a successful person. I, I've never met a person who said, yeah, I want to be a big failure in life. I've never met anybody who said, yeah, I just want to mess up and, and, and make, a, make a mockery of my whole life. No, everybody wants to succeed. Everybody wants to be a success. There's one common denominator that I've found in people who are successful. It doesn't matter uh, what, their, what, what they, their profession is. It doesn't matter their age. There's one common denominator that I've found in people that are successful, a strong, compelling reason. Uh, this, this purpose uh, is that they have a singular vision, a singular mission in life. They don't have, they're not trying to do a million things. And we all know people who try to do a million things and they're, they're, they're uh, a master of none of them, right? They, 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 they dabble in a lot of different things, but they, they, they haven't been successful in just any one of those things. True successful people understand that they can do one thing and do one thing very well. And they do that one thing very well. Uh, the church of Jesus Christ, while we are called to do many things, we are called to, to, to specifically focus in on one thing and one mission, and that's evangelism. And so we're going to be talking about that here today, this one purpose, this one mission, this, this one vision of life. That's what God has called every church, every Christian uh, to be and to do. 
the mission and vision of Aloma Church. I, I remind us of this uh, quite often. We have it on the screen. It's to center ourselves on Jesus, doing whatever it takes for people to experience life change. That's our mission statement. That's our vision statement. That's what God has called us to do. It's the, the mission is to go out and to share and to see lost people saved. That's what it's about. And here in Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, the verses that we're going to be reading in just a moment, we find the three essentials that we must have to be able to fulfill that mission and vision of the church, centering ourselves on Jesus, doing whatever it takes for people to experience life change, for us to be able to see, see that come to fruition as a church, for us to be able to see that come to fruition in our own personal Christian walks and Christian lives, there are three things, and I'm going to give you my three points at the beginning. They'll come on the screen later on in the service, but I want to give you my three points right now. I want you to write them down because they're going to be seen over and over and over again. Three words that I want you to write down is go, it's so, and it's reap. Go, sow, and reap. These are the three essentials to be able to share your faith. This is what we find in Psalm 126. This is what we find throughout the Gospels. This is what we find throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing our faith, when we want to break it down to the, the bare essentials, what does it mean to share our faith? It's those three words, go and sow and reap. To be effective in sharing our faith, in getting the gospel outside these walls and outside these doors, we must go, we must sow, we must reap. Let's see what the writer of this psalm in Psalm 126 has to say. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word as we look at Psalm 126, only the last two verses. The writer of Psalm 126 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. There we see it. Go and sow and reap. Father, we thank you for this word. And God, as we speak from it today on this Vision Sunday, on this, this first Sunday of this brand new year, God, may you speak to hearts and lives today. Father, as we make commitments in, in our own personal lives, in our own personal families, in our marriages, and, and in our schools, and, and all these, these commitments that we're making to do better in 2016 than we did in 2015, Father, may we have a holy unction, a, 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 a word from you that would allow us and challenge us to make certain spiritual commitments this day. We ask this in Christ's name, and all of God's people said, Please be seated. Now, what is the one mission of every Christian, the single-minded strategy that, that the church is to be about? Well, it's to go and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you go. We are called his witnesses. His, we are not, uh, understand this, a witness is not a salesman. We often think that evangelism, we're going out and we're selling goods to someone and we're trying to, we're trying to talk them into uh, converting to Christianity. Well, evangelism, God's not called us to be a salesman, nor has God called us to be an attorney. We often think that we have to defend our faith and, and I don't share my faith because I don't know enough of scripture and what if somebody comes to me and they, they say something and I don't know the answer to it and, and it makes me look foolish and, and I, I, I'm not an attorney. So I, I well, listen, God's not called called you to be an attorney for the faith. God's not called you to be a, a salesman for the faith. Now, while we are commanded to give a defense for the word, there's a time and a season uh, to give a defense. Sharing your faith and evangelism is so much more simple than that. God's not called you to be a salesman. God's not called you to be an attorney. You know what God's called you to be? A farmer, 
over and over and over throughout Scripture, we see the sharing of faith tied and linked to being a farmer. Now, I'm speaking to people from Orlando, Florida. And you don't, most of you have no clue what farming, you think your vegetables and fruit come from Publix. You have no idea that, that, that there's actually farms that, that people have and they, they grow those things and they sell those things uh, to Publix. And, and I'm no farmer, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm a city boy as well, um, but, but I, I, I've, I have farmers in my family. I've been uh, fortunate to lead and to pastor uh, farmers and, and I'm, I call myself a gardener. I'm not a farmer. A farmer means you got to have a lot of land. I'm a gardener. You know what the difference between a farmer and a gardener is, right? A gardener is a person that can throw the seeds out, and if they don't sprout, he can go to Publix and buy his food. A farmer, if he throws the seed out and they don't sprout, he's going to go hungry. That's the difference. And so I'm a gardener. I, if they don't grow, I can go uh, get my fruits and vegetables somewhere else. But uh, farmers, there, there's something unique about farmers. If you know any farmers, you, you, you know that there's one purpose and one heartbeat in life, and that's to sow the seed to bring in the harvest. That's their mission. That's their purpose is to sow the seed to bring in the harvest. And, and everything that they're about, everything that they're, they're going to do, their livelihood is tied into this. They're passionate about it. And so everything that they're about, they're, they, they, they have this, this passion and this purpose. And so it is with us that we are to be spiritual farmers. We are to be about the business of the harvest. We are his witnesses, spiritual farmers. Now, what is a witness? A witness is simply someone who tells what he's seen and heard. A witness for Jesus Christ is simply a person, and we are called his witnesses. Go back and read Matthew 28. We are called his witnesses. Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone who basically all they do is tell what they've seen and heard. If you are a witness of an accident or you are a witness for a crime, you stay where you are. The policeman comes, and what does he say? What did you see? What did you hear? Don't, don't give me anything extra. Don't give me your thoughts. Don't give me your, your, your impressions as to what happened. Tell me what you saw and what you heard. That's a witness. And we must be witnesses of what we have seen and what we have heard. I'm speaking specifically to the Christians here today. Many of you say, well, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't have anything to say. That's the worst thing in the, that you could possibly say. That's so wrong. Because as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you have a story. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. Your story, no one else can, you don't have a story like anybody else. Your story is unique to you. And God has given you that story and you are a witness to that story. No one can debate the fact that as a 17-year-old young man in the city of Maryville, Tennessee, in a little small church that you could probably fit 50 of them in this sanctuary here today, I gave my life to the Lord. I was living my life for myself, and when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, everything changed. The thing, my old passions went away. I now had new passions. My old mission and my old purpose of life went away, and I had a new one. It wasn't a revolution or it wasn't a, 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 a psychiatric uh, help session that I had. It was something that literally changed my life. And no one can debate that. I, I, you, you can't say, well, that didn't happen. Well, of course it happened. You can say all you want to, that that doesn't happen, that that never happened to me. But the reality is it happened to me. I lived it. I experienced it. That's my story. You can't debate someone else's story. And so we do have a story. We do have something to say. And as witnesses, that's what we're called to be. Not lawyers, not, not, not salesmen, 
but witnesses, people who, who say and to share what we have seen. God has called every one of us to missions. God has called you. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you realize that you're a missionary. Now, you may not be a missionary that's a, a professional missionary, meaning that God's called you to go around the earth and, and to serve in, in, in some tribe somewhere in the remote uh, jungles of, of a country. But God has called all of us to be missionaries, to, to share and to witness of what Christ has done. Missions that, that uh, are about the cross, having seen the cross and what Christ has done and, and telling the good news of Christ. Now, our witnessing is not optional. You've heard me say this many times, this is a non-negotiable for the Christian life. And I want all of us as members of, of Aloma Church, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to this year to experience the exhilarating joy of sharing your faith. If you have never shared your faith before, I, my prayer is that this year you will have an opportunity to share your faith at least once with someone. We're so excited about the future of our church and the future is right now. That future is the field of souls that are right outside the walls and the doors of this church. The field of souls that God has given to us to share the word. You understand that I, as well as you, will have to give an account to the Lord as to how we, we fulfilled our mission and purpose. And God has placed this church in a, a marvelous mission field. I love the city of Orlando. It's the city beautiful, and, and in a lot of ways, it is so beautiful. I love this city. But as you've heard me say, this is a very dark city, a city that is in desperate need of the message of Jesus Christ, a city that is in desperate need for hope and light and life. And we have that hope. We have the light. We have the life. And we are to go outside these walls and to share it with those who need to hear it, not religion. Religion is saying, hey, come and sit and listen and hear People don't need religion. What people need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is go and tell. Religion is come and sit. Religion is, or relationship and the gospel is go and tell. Go and tell what Christ has done for you. Three essentials that we see right here in our text. Number one, we must have a burden. That's to go. Remember we said go, sow, and reap. And when we're talking about going, we must understand that as we go, we must go with a burden. This is why the scripture says in verse 5 of what we just read, those who sow, those who go, they go in what? They go in tears. They, they, they will reap. They will reap with joy. There's emotion tied to this. There's a passion tied to this. Uh, th this is an element that is missing in so many evangelistic churches today. That we go out and we knock on doors. We're doing it because of obligation. We're doing it because of duty. We're doing it because of some program. But this is not God's plan. Evangelism must be a burden. Not a program, but a passion. Not a program, but a passion. Now, most likely, Psalm 126 was written not by David, but by Ezra, the same man who was called to come and to rebuild the temple. We, we read and we studied Nehemiah last year. Nehemiah, the man that was called from Babylon to come back and to rebuild the walls. Ezra was called to come back and to rebuild the temple. And as Ezra was walking, you say, well, why do we think Ezra did it? Because Psalm 126, in its context, talks about Israel becoming a nation uh, following the Babylonian captivity. This is the setting of Psalm 126. In fact, Psalm 126 is, in, is, is, is uh, situated in a group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. If you look at your Bible there, if you have an ESV uh, Bible like the one that I read from and preach from, it'll say a psalm or a song of ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T, meaning to rise. What does a song of ascent mean, a psalm of ascent? 
These were psalms that were written uh, and used primarily following the Babylonian captivity during Ezra's temple and then going into uh, King Herod's temple. As the Jews would ascend the steps to go into the temple to worship, they would read or they would recite these psalms and they would, they would step up on a step and they would recite the psalms. You'll notice that all the psalms of ascent are very short and if you read them in Hebrew, they have, a, they have a, a rhythm to them. And so they memorize these psalms. And as they would go up on a step, they would recite a psalm. They would walk up another step and then recite a psalm. The steps of the temple, if you go with me in June to Israel, when we go in, to, in, to Israel in June, we will sit on these same steps that, people, that the Jews ascended as they were going to worship. And you'll notice something about the steps. Here in, in uh, the United States, when people build steps, they build all the steps steps equally, right? They, they have the same rise and the same, I don't know what they call that, but rise and something. Run, the rise and run, thank you. So it's the rise and run. We have a builder in the house, thank you. You have the rise and you have the run. And, and there's a certain, every step has the same amount of rise and the same amount of run. If you mess up, if you've ever tripped down steps and you've checked the rise and run, there's a good chance that the rise and run are off. All the, the steps that you walk up are equal. The reason why is because our brains tell us that when we step up a step, we're expecting that our foot's going to hit the same place on every step. We do it without thinking. Well, the Psalms of Ascent and the reason why the Jews built the steps going up to the temple, they didn't have the same rise or run. Some of them are higher, some of them are wider. They're, they're all different shapes and sizes. And the reason why they did that was because they didn't want people to come into God's house with a cavalier attitude, with a my, my brain in neutral attitude. They want people to be thinking about the Lord and about his word. And so as they were walking up the steps, all the steps were different. So they're having to take their time. They're having to watch where they're going. They're having to think and, and read and they're meditating on scripture. So this is where Psalm 126 finds itself probably written by Ezra. And I can imagine Ezra walking through Jerusalem before the temple and the walls were built and seeing the devastation that was left after the, after the Babylonians came in uh, just two generations earlier. And, and, and what once was flourishing, green, uh, beautiful land flowing with milk and honey was now a, a wasteland, barren, scorched, dry ground. And I can see Ezra with, with tears streaming down his face and he cries out to God and he prays with, with tears in his eyes and in his heart that the seed will be sown once again, that the harvest uh, will come, that, that what is now scorched will bring forth life again and the sheaves will come in and the blessing and the bountifulness of the Lord and the fruitfulness of the land will be enjoyed once again. That's what Psalm 126 is all about. But understand that it begins with a burden. It's not just checking our brain at the door. It's not just going in neutral. It's not just saying, well, 2016 is going to be the same as 2015. It's not, it's not just going in cruise control. No, we, 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 we must have a burden. This is why when people say, well, well what are we going to do about evangelism? What program are we going to have? Preacher, we, we, need, we, we need to show up and we need to have a day where we show up and we, we do. Uh, this is how we did it in the 80s and 90s. And, 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 and we, we showed up for a program and we, we, we went out together and we came back and we did all this program. Listen, the problem with that is that it's a program and it's not a passion. The problem with that is that it's a program and not a passion. You can go out and you can knock on doors and not have a burden and what's going to happen is it's going to waste away. The problem with programs is they just don't last unless there's a passion behind them. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with having a day of the week where we show up and we go and knock on doors. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I'm not knocking that in the least. But what I'm saying is before we even start something, before we even get a program, we need to understand that before there's a program and before I ask you to go do something, I, I, I think that we need to first do a heart examination on ourselves. We need to ask the Lord to develop a burden within us because once that burden is placed, you're not going to need a day of the week. It's going to become a lifestyle. Evangelism, listen, evangelism is not a program, it's a lifestyle. Sharing our faith and, and being witnesses is not a program. It's not something we have to show up to church and do. It's just something that we are. And God has called all of us to be like this. Now, we, we, we get so uh, bombarded with so many things in, in life and, and political correctness tells us that what's right for you is right for you. What's good for me is good for me. And don't tell me about your faith. And we have succumbed as a church to political correctness to the point that, that we are, are afraid to, be, to share our faith with someone. We don't want, we don't want to come, become across as, as closed-minded or, or bigots or, or something like that. Listen, we are called to be witnesses. You're not, you're not selling your story. You're not selling anything. Remember what we said a witness was. All a witness is doing is speaking and sharing what they've heard, what they've experienced. If somebody rejects that and they're rejecting you, they're rejecting the message. Because you don't have anything to sell. All you're doing is being a witness. All you are doing is being faithful. But it begins with a burden. And we think about the eternal consequences of, 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 of all that we're talking about. People without Christ. Certainly our, our heart must have a deep burden for people who don't know Jesus Christ. It's the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between life and death. And when you think about the plight of those people who don't know Jesus, your neighbors and mine, your friends and mine, your classmates and mine, when we understand that we have family members that, that don't know Jesus, if you truly believe what the gospel teaches, that those who receive Jesus Christ as Savior Lord, that, that they understand and they've received him, that the cross has paid the penalty, they're going to go to a place called heaven. But those who reject Jesus, those who don't know Jesus, go to a place called hell. The worst thing you could ever say to somebody is go to hell. You realize that, right? Because hell is not some place that's created in the mind of Walt Disney with, with a, a, a little red man with a pitchfork. That's not hell. Hell is an eternity separated without Christ, separated without grace and goodness and love. Hell is an eternity separated from, from light. And, and if we will develop the heart and the mind of Christ, I truly believe that he will place a burden on our heart and we will see people the way he sees people and we will have compassion for people who don't know Jesus because they are lost, they are dying, and they are going to hell. Now, you can't make somebody get saved. You can't. I've tried it. Pray this, pray this, pray this. Do this. Believe this. You can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Now, you can push the, the horse in the water, can't you? And I think that's what God's called us to do. If we can't get the horse to drink, then push it in. We are called not to give up, to go after. If, if you have 100 sheep and one is lost, won't you move heaven and earth to find that sheep? Let's put it in, in modern day terms. You have $100,000. You got a lot of money. 
If you lose only 10,000 of that $100,000, aren't you gonna move heaven and earth to try to find that 10,000? Of course you will. Why? Because you have a passion for it. You have a desire for it. Why not have a desire for things that last for eternity? Have a heartbeat, have a, have a, a burden to go. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and 37, again, this is another instance in the scripture where we see this. He says, when, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. There we see a burden, right? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray then that the Lord of harvest will send out laborers into the field. You see right here, again, we see our threefold essentials for evangelism. Go and sow and reap. Go and sow and reap. Having a burden, having a story, sharing an invitation. You see, Jesus had a great compassion on the people. Pray that the Lord will send workers to go and to harvest and to invite. Friends, this message is found over and over and over through the scripture. When the Bible tells us to do something one time, we should take notice and we should do it. But when it says it four, five, six, seven, eight, numerous times, I think God's trying to get through our thick skull that there's something we need to understand here. And he calls us to be witnesses. Our mission begins not with a program, but with a passion. And I pray, my prayer, people ask, what what were you praying about during those 50 days of prayer and fasting? You know what I was praying and fasting about? I was praying and fasting for each one of you and myself. And my prayer and my fast during those 50 days was single in in, in focus. And I was praying and I was fasting that God would break our hearts, that we would have a burden for lost people unlike any church has ever had. 250,000 people within five mile radius. You go 10 miles, you start talking about a million people. Five miles though, five miles. That, that's something that we could, you can run five miles. You can run five miles. I, don't, I can't run 10 miles, I can run five miles. Five miles, that's not a lot. Five miles, five mile radius, 250,000 people, a quarter of a million people. If statistics hold true, over 160,000 of them don't know Jesus Christ. The vast majority don't attend church. Can I tell you that this year of evangelism, God is going to allow us to see some amazing things as a church. We're going to see a lot of lost people saved. We're going to see a lot of lost people who who come to salvation in Jesus Christ. We're going to see baptisms. But listen, the year of evangelism is not about building a church. It's about building the kingdom. But it begins with a burden. It begins with a desire to see uh, the lost saved. Number two, we must share the story. We must have a burden and go. But number two, we have to share the story that's to sow. Again, verse five, you can't get away from it. Psalm 126 and verse five, he, he, he's talking about those who sow. Now in tears, that talks about the burden, but those who sow, those will reap. He, he take out the emotion and now we've got the emotion and the burden. We've got the heart now. Now that we have the heart, what do we do? Do we just sit here and pray that the Lord will, will, will let somebody else go? Oh, Lord, send somebody else out on the field. Now, I've got a deep burden for the lost. I've got a deep burden for the homeless. I've got a a deep burden for those that are hungry and those that are thirsty and those who are cold. I've got a deep burden, but, oh, God, send somebody else out in the field to to clothe them, to feed them, to give them water, to share them. Is that how we're to do it? Well, no. He tells us all to go. Not only should we have a burden, but once that burden is planted in our heart, we we get up and we, we go and we share the story. As I look around our city and beyond the borders of the city, I see a a field of souls. 
And I pray that God gives all of us the eyes that that he has and sees the lostness like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, as we just read, he he saw the helpless and the stressed and the harassed. You know anybody like that? Any of your friends, any of your coworkers, any of your family? You see, many of us have bought into the lie, it's the devil's lie, the incredible myth that people without Jesus Christ, they, they don't want to know anything about Jesus. The people who aren't saved, they, they're happy where they are. I beg to differ. I have met multiple people. Now, there's a few who they, they say on the outside, I'm happy being an atheist. I'm happy being an agnostic. But when you start digging down deep, they're not happy at all. They're lonely. They're looking for truth. They're looking for what's real. Over these past couple of months, I've gone and knocked on some doors, some with, with, with people that we go out from a church, some by myself. And I've knocked through my ministry, I've knocked on thousands of doors, thousands of doors. And when those doors are open and you begin to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, sometimes the door gets slammed in your face, that happens. But more often than what I've found, you know what I've found? People are intrigued. First of all, people in Orlando, I didn't think. I told Jeff Decker, I said, Jeff, there's no way. Now, that's going to work in Nashville. That's going to work in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, going and knocking on a door, and somebody's going to open the door and let you talk about Jesus. But there's no way that's going to happen in Orlando. He said, let me show you. We went to 10 houses, and nine of those 10 houses opened their door and let us share. You know what that tells me? People even in Orlando, Florida, used to be part of the Bible Belt. It ain't anymore. People are still interested in hearing truth. They want to hear what you got to say. They want to know about this Jesus. They want to know about this this Christ and, and this Bible. And can I tell you that I have met a handful of people here that live in Orlando that have no clue, no inkling of an idea what the Bible even is or who Jesus Christ was. My first week here, I thought I was in the twilight zone. We went to a bank where we, we had to change banks. They don't have First Tennessee Bank here in Florida for some reason. And so we, we had to change banks. And so we went into a bank, and I was talking to a banker. And, and I was ta- he said, what do you do for a living? And I told him I was a minister of, of, uh, at a church. And he said, well, what does a minister do? I began to tell him. I said, you know, here's the Bible. And he said, what's the Bible? I said, about Jesus. He said, who's Jesus? I said, are you joking me? Are you kidding me? No, no clue. I started laughing. I thought the guy was kidding with me. No clue, no concept. This is the culture and the world that we live in. I was telling a friend this the other day. He said, man, that must be hard to do ministry there. I said, no, it's actually very easy because we have the blueprint right here in the book of Acts about going to people who have no clue of who Jesus is. You know what's hard? Ministering in the Bible Belt where everybody thinks they're saved just because their name's on the roll of some church. That's hard. What's easy is to go with people who are just completely lost. And you share the truth with them. And you see the light bulb go off. And they pray and invite Christ in their life. That's what it's about, church. And people are hungry. It's the story, not my story, but it's his story. What story do we share? We tell, we tell the story that, that they, they told in, in, in the book of Acts. Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. That's the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 3, Paul said, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I first delivered to you, that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, he rose again on the third day. That's the gospel. 
That's the story. That's what saved you out of, the, uh, out of where you were, and that's what's going to save the person that you're sharing with. That's what we share. Now, when people share, and I'll admit, I've knocked on thousands of doors. Before I knock on this door, there's still something that happens to me. A little pit in my stomach, a, a little voice, and it causes fear. It's, it's a bit of fear. Right before I go knock on a door, I don't know what's on the other side of that door. I've done this thousands of times. But there's always that little bit of fear. Right before, I, I mean, I don't, know if I, I don't know why I'm fearful. I've never, you know, am I going to knock and on the other side of the door is going to be Sasquatch or something, Bigfoot? I don't know. A guy with a shotgun? I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm scared of. But I knock on that door, and the door is open, and I can tell you, I've never met Sasquatch. Sasquatch has never been on the other side of the door. Never had a guy with a shotgun in his hand. Now, I've had a few. I've had a few stories, but we won't. I'm trying to get you to go share your faith. I don't want to tell you those stories. But seriously, 80% of the time, people are interested in to hear what you're wanting to say. And when that little voice begins to speak to me, and it's fear, I know where it's from, it's Satan. People say, well, I, I'm afraid to share my faith. I, I understand that. I'm a pastor, and I, I get that. There, there's always that fear of rejection or that fear of, of we, don't under, we don't know what's going to happen. And if that is you, now there are some who don't have that, and that's great, but I, I still get that. That still happens to me. You know what I do, though? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. When fear begins to rise up in my, my heart, right before I knock on that door, I tell Satan, I remind Satan, perfect love casts out all fear. And because I am perfectly loved by my Savior, that perfect love fills me. And when that perfect love fills me, there is no place for fear anymore. There is no room in my heart for fear. And so that fear subsides and I knock on that door. And you know what? More times than not, it's a divine encounter that we experience. Now, if I were to listen to that fear, if I were to listen to that fear in my life, I would never share my faith. But you see, that's what Satan wants from all of us. Satan puts things, he says, you're inadequate. You don't know enough scripture. You don't have this or you don't have that. You're not smart enough. You, you've not been saved long enough. Listen, we go back to the book of Acts and we see in the book of Acts that people were saved and right after they were saved, they went out and witnessed and shared their faith. Cornelius went and shared with his whole household. He had been a brand new Christian for what, all of two hours? And he shared his faith. What did he say? He told them his story. You cannot deny your story. My, my mind and my focus and my passions were this. But then when Jesus, I encountered Jesus, they changed and they went to here. And I don't understand it. I don't get it. But what he's done for me, he's going to do for you. And the vision and the passion and the direction and the heartbeat that once I want to do everything I could to fulfill my flesh. But now in my life, as a 35, 34-year-old, 35-year-old something guy, my desire is to do that which pleases God. That's not natural. That's not normal. You know what it is? It's supernatural. It has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do about the person who lives inside of me. And listen, just because I, I am a, a, a professional minister, I do this for a living, there's nothing special about me when it comes to evangelism. We're all called to do it, and we all can do it. This year is the year of evangelism. I'm praying that the whole church, that every 
member will begin to share their faith on a consistent basis. That this year we'll be preparing everyone and anyone. We'll give you tools throughout the year. We're going to develop programs for you to be able to share. But more than anything, I want it to become a lifestyle for all of us. And when we sow the seeds, you witness and you're sharing Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, then leave the results to God. When we sow the seeds of the gospel, when we share Jesus with others, God said, I'm going to bless that. There's going to be a bearing of a lot of fruit. You see, that's why I appreciate the ministry of Loma Church. I love this church so much because everything that we do, everything that's in our budget, we talk about this as a staff uh, consistently, that everything in the ministry of this church has a seed in it. And that seed is to be scattered. And when that seed is scattered, it'll bring forth fruit. We, we, we can't just sit here on, on, on piles of, of, of money or piles of talent or piles of resources. We can't just sit here on piles of things. If, if we do that, we're not doing what God's called us to do. Instead of sitting on piles of things, we, we send people out. We send resources out. We scatter that seed. And when that seed is scattered, God provides the growth. You see, the church is not about budgets. The church is not about buildings. The church is about a mission, which is sowing seeds. Remember what we said. We're farmers. We're called to sow seeds. We have to go. We have to share. Number three, we have to offer an invitation. That's to reap. We go, we sow, and we reap. You see, God's promise, he's promised that when we sow the seeds, he'll give the results, that there will be a reaping. When the seeds go out, not every seed is going to grow. Not every seed is going to take root. But when you throw out a handful of seeds, some of those seeds will take root and some of those seeds will grow. We may not always see them, though. That's the thing. We, we are in instant gratification culture, right? Uh, we, we were sitting, and I don't remember what it was. Uh, we were in Pigeon Forge, and we were looking uh, for some cold weather up in Pigeon Forge over Christmas, and it was 80 degrees. Uh, people said, get back to Florida. Take this heat with you. It's Christmas. Uh, but, but we were sitting around the table, and we were trying to think of a name of somebody. And, and my, my little nephew said, well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll Google it. I said, no, don't Google it. Let, let's think. Let's use our brain. We'll come up with, with the person's name. And we never did, so we had to Google it and find out who it was. But we're in, this, we're, in this, uh, we're in this instant gratification culture where we have to know, we have to know, we have to know. And if I don't know, I'm just going to Google it, right? Well, that, uh, unfortunately, when it comes to, when it comes to, to evangelism and, and sharing our faith, you may not always see the one who sows isn't always the one who reaps. The one who sows the seed and throws the seed is, is sometimes, very often, not the one who reaps that seed. And that's true in your own family as well, in your own friends. Jesus said that even when you have a cup of cold water in my name, if that goes unnoticed on earth, it's headline news in heaven. You see, you can't do an act of grace. You, you can't do an act of God and sowing the gospel of Christ without God blessing that. You may not see the fruit. You may not, you may not see the blessing. The blessing may not show up as zeros in your bank account. But God blesses. Every time you do an act of grace, the Bible says God blesses that. Every time you throw the seed, God blesses. Every time you take an act of faith and, and a step of faith, God blesses that. Now, the question is, people ask, well, well, who's responsible for witnessing? Is it God or is it me? The answer is yes. It's both. It's both. Can God do it by himself? Well, of course, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to. But throughout time, from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, God has chosen to use people like you and me, people to do his work. 
You say, well, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a professional anything. I don't, have, I don't have this degree. I'm not an eloquent speaker. Well, you know what? God has chosen more often to use people like you. He chose a stutterer by the name of Moses to set his people free. He chose a bunch of, of redneck hick fishermen to be his closest disciples and the leaders of the church. If God could use men and women, he used a harlot by the name of Mary Magdalene. And he appeared to her, one of the first people he appeared to. You know what? God uses our damaged stories and our damaged life to his glory. And if you will allow him, God will take, you may think I'm broken goods. I've got too many skeletons in my closet. Listen, God will take those skeletons, God will take those broken goods, and he will use it for his glory if you'll let him. If you'll let him. Because nobody has a story like you. Nobody has a closet like you. And if you will allow God to use that story, he will use it in a powerful way. We labor together. We sow, God saves. We plant, God gives the increase. We water, God gives life. Uh, We cultivate, God gives the growth. We witness, God wins. Again, I say you can't do the smallest act of witness or the smallest amount. You can't give the smallest amount of money without God bringing a blessing because you're obeying. You see, God created this world. There's, There's something... In, in the world, and we're going to close with this illustration. There's something that, that God set into motion when he created everything. It, it, there, there are certain laws that are there. There's a law called the law of the harvest. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, when the sun rises, the sun rises always in the east, right? Anybody ever seen a sunrise in the west? It doesn't happen, right? If you're on earth, the sun always rises in the east. The sun always sets where? In the west. It, it, it's clock motion. We know the sun, no matter how bad you got it, the sun's going to come up tomorrow, and it's going to come up in the east, right? There's also this thing called gravity, this great thing that I don't know why it took so many years for people uh, to understand. Sir Isaac Newton is the one who they say discovered it, but I'm sure Adam knew if you drop an apple, it falls, right? Why is that? Because if something has more mass than air, it goes, it's pulled to the center of the earth. If something has less mass than air, a la a helium-filled balloon, it floats, so we have this law. You drop something, it falls. You drop a baby, it falls. You, I don't know why I said drop a baby. If you drop, whatever you drop, you, you drop, it goes, it tries to make it to the center of the earth, all right, until it goes whammo on whatever it is that stops you. And so we have these certain laws that God sets into motion. There are laws of the harvest as well, and I want to give them to you very quickly. There's only three that I'm going to give to you. We don't have time for all of them. Uh, the first law of the harvest is the law of identification. The law of identification, what you, what we, we reap, what we sow. You've heard that before. You reap what you sow. If I sow apple seeds, am I going to get oranges? No, that's not the way the law of the harvest works. I reap what I sow. If I sow orange seeds, I'm going to get oranges. If I sow apple seeds, I'm going to get apples. If I sow green beans, I'm going to get green beans. You reap what you sow. If I sow sin, I'm going to reap sin. If I, if I sow disaster, I'm going to reap disaster. If I sow grace, I'm going to receive grace. That's how it works. We reap what we sow. It's the principle of identification. The second principle of the law of the harvest is the principle of incubation. We reap later than we sow. And that's, that's something that our generation doesn't really get a hold of, and we don't like that very much. <clears throat> very much. But we, we, we reap and we expect product overnight. That's what these TV preachers say. You invest here and you're going to get a million dollars tomorrow. It doesn't work that way, though the law of the harvest, you go and plant seeds, it takes time for seeds to grow. 
anything that has life has an incubation period. Think about it. Ladies who have bore children, you know that there is a, a set of nine months and nine months in that incubation period before that baby is brought forth and has life. Anything and everything that has life has a time of incubation. It's the law of the harvest. You always reap <clears throat> later than you sow. Number three is the, the, what we call the principle of intensification. You always reap more than you sow. If I only sowed one green bean seed and I only got one green bean, then what's the point, right? But I sow and I will reap more than I sow. The law of the harvest works for every aspect of life. You know, I love to grow things. I, I love, one of the reasons why I love Florida is because you can grow something almost year round. And we have green beans in our yard almost year round. We have, uh, some of you that are from Tennessee, you know what I'm gonna say. Uh, has anybody ever heard of a green bean called a turkey crawl green bean? That many of you, it's great. Turkey crawl. We have turkey crawl green beans in our family. Uh, I know Helen knows about turkey crawls. Uh, we have a, a bean in our family that has been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, it's, it's a turkey crawl. The crawl of a turkey, you know, in its little gizzard. Uh, apparently, one time the, the story goes that that somebody. Sorry, this is brutal. They killed a chicken, chopped its head off, and in the crawl of the turkey, they found a seed. And for whatever reason, they planted the seed, and out came green beans. And so they call it turkey crawl green beans. And so <laughs> they're gray green beans. They don't taste like chicken, okay? They're, 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 they taste like green beans. But, but we, we plant these in our yard, and, and I'm teaching Abigail that, that uh that Food doesn't come from Publix, it comes from the ground. And so we're, I'm teaching her to plant green beans. And so she's, she's seen sowing, she's seen how to put the, you know, the, the, the fertilizer on the ground, the type of pesticides we use. And you know, we use ladybugs and praying mantis and, and we watch the praying mantis kill the bad insects. And so we're, we're, I'm showing her and teaching her all these things. And then of course, when we, it's time to reap, we're reaping so many more green beans. And I'm reminding her, remember from that one little seed, that one little seed that we planted, we put it in the ground, we cover it up and it brought forth, look at all these green beans. The hardest lesson that she had to understand was at the very end, when, those, when we harvested all the green beans that we're going to eat, she said, daddy, let me pick the last five or six. I said, no, honey, we're gonna leave the last five or six on the vine. She said, well, why are we gonna do that? I said, honey, I'll show you. So we leave the five or six on the vine. The vine dies. We uproot the vine. The vine dies. The green beans go from green to yellow to black. They die. And she says, well, is it time? Uh, we, we pick them and we get those seeds and we lay them out and those seeds are now dry and we, we lay them out. She said, what are we gonna do with those? I said, from each one of these seeds, it's going to feed us. We have five seeds. We're gonna have five vines and it's gonna produce even more, even more and even more, it's, the, it's the, 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 the concept of multiplication. Church, this is what I want you to hear, that when we begin to share our faith and we begin to scatter that seed, not all those seeds are gonna take root, some of them will. When those seeds begin to take root, they begin to produce fruit and they begin to go and share their faith. And you see, it's the, it's the message of multiplication, it's the message of intensification, it's the law of the harvest. The, is more, the more you sow, the more is going to take root and the more they're going to sow. And the more they're going to take root, the more they're going to sow. And before long, we have swept over this entire city. 
Can you imagine what's going to happen? If it started right here at Aloma Church, this year of evangelism, if we began to get a burden in our heart and in our life, and we said, come hell or high water, nothing's going to stop us from sharing our faith because what God has done for us, we want to see this city saved. Amen?